Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. Have some cool stuff to report, as well as an interview with Artemio, the creator of the 240p test suite. So let's just jump right in and start with the news. I'll start with a bit of nostalgia. Over 10 years of Nintendo Power magazines have been uploaded to archive.org, and it's really cool how they did it. You could click on each magazine, uh, and you could obviously sort it by date or issue number or anything, but when you click on the magazine, um, the pages turn in front of you on screen, kind of like you're actually reading it. So it's pretty neat, and uh, I just I remember as a kid not knowing what to do in Zelda, the second quest, the second map after you beat it, and uh, I had to wait for my friends to bring their Nintendo powers into school. So it's just kind of funny, you know, pre-internet, that's the only way you'd be able to figure out where some of the castles were, but now they're all available for free online for everybody to look at. So uh, anybody that wants a bit of nostalgia or just wants some of the original tips should definitely check it out. The Behar brothers have uploaded pictures of a consoleized Game Gear project that they're working on. It's not clear yet if this is something that's going to be a product that they offer regularly, or if this is just a one-time thing they'll probably sell a few of, but as soon as there's more information, I'll definitely report back on it. It looks pretty neat. It looks like uh, the same type of plexiglass casing that they use for their uh, Toro uh, and the, the Garo and all of their other boxes that they make for Dreamcast or for the Scanliner or even that new uh, component to VGA converter. Um, but it, it seems like something that a lot of people have been asking for. I certainly would always want a consoleized Game Gear just so I could easily play it on the TV, not just kind of having it sit with all the wires connected uh, like I do now. Um, but also for people that have ROM carts, you could still use the Game Gear to SMS conversions, which basically patches Game Gear ROMs to use more of the full screen that's available. And there's a few other enhancements that have been added to them, but I think both are great solutions for playing Game Gear games on TV. Uh, and if you like the Game, Boy, or Game Gear library, you should definitely check out both links that I'll leave in the description. A jailbreak was released for the PS Vita and the PlayStation TV for the 3.6 firmware. This jailbreak doesn't require a PC. All you have to do is go to a website and kind of just run the patch right from there. Uh, and it enables homebrew emulators and pretty much everything else you could do with the jailbroken Vita. The only downside to it is every time the device is fully power cycled, you have to run the jailbreak again. But once again, it's just a matter of going to a website. It's, you don't need a, a PC, you don't have to worry about anything else. But uh, it's pretty cool. If any Vita owners might want to check it out just to see what kind of stuff that you could load on it. Pre-orders open today for the AVS console, which is the 720p HDMI Nintendo that's FVGA-based from Retro USB. That is a lot of acronyms to say. I feel like I just spit out 20 letters in a row. But uh, there's no information on when the pre-order will start, um, or really any other details other than it's going to happen today, the day this podcast airs. So I'll, I'll tweet about it and put it on uh, Facebook, but I wish there was a little more information um, the only way that I've even gotten the info was checking out the forum on Nintendo Age. And by the way, if anybody knows a mod at Nintendo Age, I can't get my account verified there, so I haven't been able to post ever. Uh, so if anybody knows anybody over there, please let me know. I'm excited to announce that version 1 of AM2R was released a few days ago. 
AM2R stands for Another Metroid 2 Remake, but it's way more than that. One developer took the original Metroid 2 game and just completely redid it from scratch. Updated graphics, really great soundtrack, the gameplay is phenomenal, um, and I've been a huge, huge fan of it since the project started. The version 1 release that just came out, though, is the first time that it could actually be completed all the way. Up until now, all the demos that were released, you'd get to a certain section and the game would just kind of stop. So uh, I'm really excited to play through it all. Um, and the developer said that while this is technically completed, he's not done working on it. He'll still make some tweaks to it and some enhancements, but anybody that wants to play it can make it through all the way to the end. Um, and it's got a 4x3 aspect ratio, so I actually plan on using an arcade VGA card to play it on an RGB monitor, so in, in 240p. So it'll end up looking just like a really gorgeous Super Nintendo game. Um, I've played it that way before, but once again, just the demos, so I'm really excited. I was actually going to do a Let's Play with it, so I'll play on an RGB monitor, but split the signal and output to the open source scan converter, but Mark from My Life in Gaming still has my OSSC. Mark. The game Indigo Prophecy is coming to the PS4 on August 9th. I actually remember playing this game on the Xbox, and it, when I played it, it reminded me of Rise of the Dragon for Sega CD. And I always loved this style of game because it kind of, it's a mix of old and new. So it reminds me of the, almost like a choose-your-own-adventure book, but interactive, which is what a lot of the games of the 80s were for PC. And then with modern graphics and modern gameplay and a much edgier storyline, I think. Um, but I'm really excited to see how it translates because I've heard mixed reviews about how PS2 games look on PS4, and I plan on getting it when I get my PS4K whenever that comes out, probably October. Um, and I really need to make time to go back and play some of these games just to kind of see how they translate and see what it's like now. Um, and I also wonder what games like this would be like on an iPad, because I know Seventh Guest was actually released on an iPad. Uh, I think a few years ago, actually, but I never got around to it. And I always loved that game on PC, and I think maybe with the touch controls, it might be a better experience on an iPad than on a console or even a PC. But if you've played The Seventh Guest on an iPad, or if you have any thoughts on the PS2, PS4 releases, uh, please comment below and let me know what you think. But when I do get it, um, I'll definitely go through and, and kind of report back on what I, my thoughts on it are. But I'm excited to try it. Innuendo Studios just uploaded a video about the Sonic the Hedgehog series. I really thought it was a brilliant video that went in and took a different look at why Sonic was created, how he's evolved over the years, and why it may or may not hold up as well as like the Mario series. And they were really down the middle about it. They didn't take sides, it wasn't a video that just made fun of it, it was pretty much just an informative way to look at Sonic from a different perspective. So it's a short video, it's, I think it's only like seven minutes long, and if you're a fan of any of the Sonic games, I really recommend it. It just offered kind of a neat perspective and a different way to think about the series, and it also kind of drove home the point that each generation of kids grew up with a different style Sonic. So as we grow up, we all remember Sonic slightly different than the other generation. So it was pretty cool. A member of the Assembler Games Forum named Citrus3000PSI just uploaded a guide on how to make a digital audio mod for GameCube. Now, I plan on using the digital audio from the GameCube video board that Badass Consoles is going to be selling, but this is great if you already have component cables and you don't need a new mod, or maybe you just use a, game, a PAL GameCube with an RGB cable, so you really don't need anything more. Um, then this is a great thing to do, and I'm a huge fan of all the digital audio mods. So if you have a GameCube and just want a, a, a SPDIF Toslink connector, definitely check out the link and see if it's something you'd want to do. 
Stone Age Gamer just sent out an email to people saying that their Game Boy Advance EverDrive will be shipping soon. This is a little strange because the Stone Age Gamer pre-order happened before Crix's pre-order, but if you ordered directly from him, people are starting to receive their carts already. So I know it's a big spoiled brat perspective, oh I want mine first, I ordered it first. I know, I sound like an asshole, but I still wish some of these things were a little better planned out. You know, I was one of the, the first people to order it from Stone Age Gamer, and now I'm going to have it after everybody else. So, like I said, I know I know it's a whiny attitude to have, but I just, um, you know, hopefully these things will be planned out a little better in the future. Um, on other news for the GBA Advance, uh, Game Boy Advance EverDrive, um, Crix has shown pictures of it working on a Nintendo DS, so it is really compatible with pretty much anything a Game Boy Advance is. And YouTube user Flube has posted a review of his that he'd already gotten a few days ago. And it does look like a great piece of equipment. So I'm, I'm still really happy I ordered mine. And even though I already have pretty much all the Game Boy Advance games I'd ever play, it's nice to know that I'll be able to play the ROM hacks and, and just have the opportunity to try any of the other Game Boy Advance library that I'd wanted. And for the last bit of news, Super G has sent me a prototype of the G-Comp Switch. So this is the component video automatic switch that's made similar to his G-SCART switch. Um, and it's pretty cool. I actually haven't had time to test it yet. I'll be doing a review video of it hopefully next week. I have a lot of videos I still promise to put up, and I'm sorry I've been falling behind on them. But um, this is definitely second on the list to do after the Toro video. Uh, and it, it looks great. And I really love the acrylic clear um, cases because... You know, I would prefer a plastic case, but Super G doesn't have a hundred grand for tooling for plastic, and I really think this is a close second because you really get to see how everything's made. You get to see the quality of the soldering. He did, you know, these are really well made. Um, but as soon as I do the video, I'll definitely put it through its paces, see how the automatic switching works. It also has not only component video, but it has uh, composite video and left and right audio. So one of the users on the forum asked, well, what if you put digital audio through the composite and use that to switch it? Um, so I'll try all that, and hopefully I'll have a video within a week or two that uh, demonstrates absolutely everything it can do. And of course, as soon as there's any info on pre-orders or anything like that, I will post immediately on Twitter and Facebook. And now on to the Q&A stuff. LittleFreak3000 asks, why not make a lag test that uses the light gun, flash the screen all white, and see how many frames it takes for the gun to see it? That's a great idea, but there's actually already devices that do that, that plug directly into HDMI and could test pretty much the same way. But I still am preferring the CRT test. Um, I spoke about it with a few people on the forums, and I'll leave a link to that as well. But it just it's a little bit more of a pain to do, but it's a more definitive way to see. Um, so that's how I plan on doing all the tests in the future. And hopefully soon, within a few months, I'll have a video about testing a ton of different TVs. Legalize Freedom asked, if you get the digital version of the GameCube video, will that carry audio through HDMI, or will you still have to run audio from the composite cables? So uh, there's a couple, uh, a couple of answers to that. So the basic one is yes, you definitely still get audio through HDMI, so if you just want to do it that way, no problem. Um, a few users have reported that the audio is slightly off-spec, so maybe some t TVs or receivers might not like it. But for the most part, I think it's going to be pretty much compatible with everything. But either way, if you wanted to, you still could use the analog audio output just using the Nintendo Multi-Out. Um, but also, if you're using the GameCube Video Lite, which is the analog version, then you have to use the audio from the analog output, the standard AV out. So hope that answered all the questions.
Fat Nightmares asked, You've mentioned a lot about upscalers on the website and on the weekly roundups. Have you had any experience with downscalers? One that comes to mind would be HDMI to component. I guess this would be an option for people that would like to keep their CRT TVs while playing HDMI consoles. Well, that's a great question, but that's actually two separate things that you're talking about. So first of all, going from HDMI to either VGA or component isn't downscaling, it's just going from digital to analog. And because you're not actually changing the resolution, there is no lag at all in these converters. So it's a zero lag solution, you could plug it right in and it'll work fine. Um, I've actually done this a bunch uh, to play things on my Sony BVM monitor. Uh, and depending on which monitor you have and how high-end, you could actually even get HDMI to HDSDI. So it stays digital the entire time as long as your monitor is compatible with the signal. And don't forget, you could also play in component video on a lot of these. Um, and you could even use component video to VGA or RGB converters as well. Also, zero lag solutions. The other side of that is going from one resolution down to another and that is what downscaling is called. In the most common scenario you would see this in retro gaming is using an Extron Emotia or an Extron Super Emotia to go from 480p VGA down to 240p. Some of the most common uses for this would be to take an Xbox 360 with the VGA output, set it to 480p, and be able to play some of those uh, older style games on an RGB monitor in 240p so it would look and feel like an old school console game. Another reason that you might want to do that is if you have a laptop or a PC that doesn't have an arcade VGA card in it and you wanted to play on an RGB monitor, you would just set your PC to 480p, 640 by 480 put it into a Super Emotia, and then plug that into your RGB monitor. So there's actually a lot of people who are playing AM2R, another Metroid 2 remake, this way. So they're able just to take that 480p signal and have it look just like a, pretty much like a Super Nintendo game on their monitor. So I hope I, um, I hope I answered the question properly, uh, and if you have any more questions, please let me know. Hopefully I made that as clear as it could be. Next, Tom Stogner asked, My question is in regards to the disk-based systems. I have EverDrives for NES, NES, Genesis, but things like GameCube, PS2, and Dreamcast I'd like to have in hard drive or SD card installed that basically works like a flash cart. Who makes these things, and which one's easiest to find to start with? Um, well, there's lots of options for each. Uh, for GameCube, the easiest is to just get uh, an Action Replay boot disk and an SD card reader that goes into the memory slot. You could also get mod chips for those that just uh, use CDRs, but um, the SD card is how I prefer to do it. PS2, you could actually use the network adapter that has the hard drive uh, attachment to it, and you could use Free McBoot to have a soft mod, so you could boot all the games from hard drive, um, and if you use an IDE converter, you could actually even put an SD card instead of a hard drive, which a few people have done. Um, Dreamcast and Saturn actually have ODEs, optical drive emulators, where you would unplug the CD-ROM drive and plug this in instead. Uh, but basically, there, there are separate solutions for many of the disc consoles now. Uh, I'm still really waiting for one for the Sega CD. Um, but they're still coming out, um, people are working on them, and it's definitely something that's going to happen eventually. But I'll keep my ROM cards page updated with all of these different solutions as these new technologies come out. But yeah, I agree, it's definitely cool and definitely something that uh, more people would want. The creator of the Retro DC Power Supply, Ben, had a question. 
He said, would you say a European GameCube Game Boy interface in RGB is the ultimate affordable solution for Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance games on TV? If you live in Europe, yes, at the moment, definitely, um, because shipping would be pretty reasonable. So you would just get a good quality RGB cable and then uh, the Game Boy interface. So you'd probably want to do a uh, action replay disc, just like I just spoke about, and boot it from an SD card. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a great quality 240p output. But for anybody that's not in Europe, um, just the shipping alone would probably cover the difference between the new GameCube Video Lite that um, Badass Consoles is releasing soon. So for Europe, yep. For everywhere else, I would probably say just use that because it's uh, it just an easier solution. And you are getting a little bit more out of it because even if you get the analog, then you get component, VGA, and RGB all from one output box. So hope that answered your question. Nathan Chowning asked, I'm wondering if you've noticed any weird centering issues with 480i signals on a PVM. I'm just starting to get into GameCube, and I noticed today that my PVM14N2U is shifting 480i signals about an inch to the left. 240p seems perfectly centered. Any ideas what I can try? So, uh, I haven't seen that problem, uh, but just speculating, I would guess a few things. Um, on these PVMs, each resolution uh, has its own calibration. So if you calibrate it for 240p and then 480i signals in there, you might have to mess with things again. But also, um, anytime sync's changed, you're going to probably have things moved a pixel or two over, but not an inch. An inch seems pretty extreme. Um, an easy solution is using an Extron RXI box. So I always recommend people get these because you can get them fairly cheap if you're, you're patient and watch on eBay. And they have centering controls. So if you're not comfortable messing with any of the calibration stuff on an RGB monitor, it's literally just two buttons. You just twirl the, the horizontal centering to one way and then get it lined up. And then when you have 240p, you can go back. Um, it might be a little bit of a pain for games that switch back and forth between the two, but at least it's a simple solution that there's no there's no way you could damage anything, and the worst thing that could happen is you just unplug it, plug it back in, and it goes back to the way it was. So if any experts want to chime in on what problems he might be having and ways he might be able to fix it, please put that in the comments. But an easy beginner solution, which I like to use, is just by getting an RXI box for the final tweaking Patrick Trainer posted in the comments about something I had completely forgotten about. He reminded me that some Dreamcast games won't output on RGB at all. So I had forgotten about that because the only time I'd run into it was one of the Street Fighter games. But even though they're all analog signals, certain games will output on composite video and on S-video, but not through RGB. Um, there are patches available, so you could patch an ISO and then burn a CDR of it, but there's no way to get them to work on an original disc. So I updated my Dreamcast page, and I'll post a link to the, the link that he had, um, he'd shared with us that shows which games have the issue. And then I would just, if you want to play any of those games, I would just Google the title in uh, RGB, and you'll be able to find the patches available for the ISOs. Um, if anybody knows why that is, please post in the comments, because that really doesn't make any sense to me on how they could uh, a game could be programmed to not work on one of the analog signals. But uh, definitely curious to know what was up with that. And for the last bit of Q&A, there was a discussion in the comments that pertained to what I had said about the Nintendo NX and how if it's a failure, maybe Nintendo won't make hardware anymore. 
And uh, people brought up a lot of good points, and everybody stayed really friendly, too. There were no nasty comments, which I always appreciate. There's no reason to get nasty on, on the internet. But a few that I wanted to share with everybody. Um, LeeChuck333 said, Nintendo will never go software only. Eventually, Sony and Microsoft will stop making consoles and just make PC games. Nintendo will own 100% of the console market at that point. Until that happens, Nintendo will keep throwing shit at the walls to see what sticks, and then we'll go back to making more traditional consoles when Sony and Microsoft bow out. You know, that is an interesting perspective. Um, Microsoft has already talked a few times about getting out of the console game, and they've already made their Xbox app available on all Windows 10 PCs, so it might actually get to the point where all newer PCs are powerful enough to play these games um, and, I mean, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but it's a good point, and it's worth, it's worth kind of thinking about. Um, also, Will Mitchell said, I think Nintendo's got pretty insanely deep pockets, so I don't see any guarantee that Nintendo would follow Sega's lead. Um, that's a good point, too. Nintendo has notoriously been conservative with their money, which is a good thing. And, you know, in times like today, especially with the tech boom and everything, you get these board of directors that just every year they just want to get a bigger yacht and a bigger house and a bigger plane, and they're just wondering why their profits don't keep skyrocketing. And the truth is, if you have a great product, you might not be able to make a follow-up product that's as great. So then, you know, profits dip, people say you're losing money, but you're not. You're actually just a company who, over the course of a long period of time, is sustaining itself. And Nintendo has consistently done that. They've always had the dips where maybe they weren't the most popular person out there, but rather than, you know, freak out and spend a bunch of money, they don't look at it as yearly earnings. They look at it as long-term over the course of the company. I'm sure their board of directors always gives them shit about it, but the actual people who run Nintendo really have that view. So yeah, both are great points. Um, and I'm still just so curious to see what's going to happen next, because maybe the NX will surprise us and be this awesome piece of hardware, uh, or maybe Lee Chuck is right, and they they were just putting out something to see what would happen, and maybe it'll be the next Virtual Boy, or maybe it'll be the next Wii, but they just keep pumping out Mario and Zelda and Smash Brothers and, and go from there. But, um, yeah, great comments, and uh, thanks again to everybody for who always participates in these comments and discussions, and thanks to everybody for mostly keeping it cool. It's totally okay to disagree, but, you know, I just never understood why people turn into to tough guys on the Internet. So thank you to everybody. Up next, we have the interview with Artemio, the creator of the 240p test suite. I think these interviews are really becoming my favorite part of the weekly roundup because I get to talk to these people that have just contributed so much to the scene that I've been using their stuff for years, and I just, uh, I get really excited. You know, I've been lucky enough to meet a bunch of rock stars and stuff, and while that's always fun and, you know, while it's, uh, I always love that, I think I get more excited to talk to the my fellow nerds just because it really feel like we're all in this together, and when people make some awesome stuff like the 240p test suite, um, not only is it something that I'm a fan of, but it's something that I just use regularly. So it's uh, it's really cool to be able to talk to the actual developers, and I hope to get as many people on here as I really can. Um, anybody from fellow forum users that always help to the guys like Artemio that really just make the stuff from scratch. So I hope everybody enjoys the interview as much as I did, uh, and thanks again for Artemio to come on on short notice and do the interview with me. So here you go. Hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, we're here with Artemio. Uh, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you doing, man? Good. Did I pronounce your name right? 
Yeah, Artemio is fine. All right, I always screw up all pronunciations. I spent a lot of time in China, and trying to pronounce my friends' names out there was just embarrassing. They used to laugh at me when I would say them. So hopefully I got at least uh, Artemio right. Yeah, you did. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. I've been a fan of yours for a long time since I first found that 240p test suite. So uh, I really wanted to have you on and kind of tell your story and um, kind of see where this all started from. Oh, thank you very much. I'm also a fan of your work. So I, I, I really thank you. So um, how did you get started in all this? Are you a programmer, hardware engineer? I see you have a lot of cool stuff behind you right now. <laughs> well, this is uh, kind of my, my workshop. Mm -hmm. So this is where I, I code and, and uh, where I work repairing stuff and doing maths. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm an engineer, a software engineer. Uh, by, by chance, I ended up doing broadcast software. Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to make something for consults. I made some early stuff back in the 90s and uh, some in the 2000s on, on PSP, Saturn, but it was just uh, crappy demos and, and stuff. So and it was just demos for stuff back in the, for like the PSP and stuff like that? Yeah, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, changing emulator code, like that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, so, well, the suite, uh, the, the, the 240p test suite started uh, as a project to try and figure out stuff for myself. Since I had that broadcast engineer uh, background, because that was my, my professional um, job, mm -hmm. I ended up saying, wait, well, I have the tools, and uh, I can do this, so I can test the Frame Meister. Well, I, I made the suite to test the, the XRGB3, in mm -hmm. fact. I started with XRGB2, but the X XRGB3 was the one that I wanted to test out on my TV. So that's awesome. You know, I actually, the way I found your software is because I thought I needed a calibration tool for my RGB monitor. Mm. And I thought I had this brilliant idea of, all right, Sega CD can play CD plus graphics games. So if I can get a couple of test patterns, maybe I'd be able to put it into that and make it. So I jumped on Google and I, you know, I Googled uh, test patterns 240p and your thing came up and I just went, holy shit, this is everything I need right here. I don't have that's to make awesome. anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I that's what I've been using to calibrate all my monitors and everything to to check all the alignments and it, um even things like the horizontal uh, test program just makes my life so much easier because then once you get it done, once I get all the alignments done, if I run that horizontal program, I can actually see it and make sure that I did it right. So, uh, oh, that's great to hear, man. It's, 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 it's really uh, a pleasure to see that the tool is, is doing its job and uh, you know helping people out in the rest of the world. That was the, the main intention. The main intention was to, to help me uh, get some patterns because I wanted exactly the same thing as, as you did. I did a search, I didn't find anything, and I said, well, how hard could it be to just put a pattern, a grid pattern, that's what I started with, and I thought about the interlacing issue that you had. I wanted some demo to show my friends what the issue was with the shadows. Mm -hmm. okay? So I, I made that basic thing and contacted Fudo and uh, told him, hey, I got this thing, you think it would be useful? And uh, then it, it just started rolling. I, I started making other things and implementing some extra patterns, and there you go. Oh, that's really cool. So the one question I've always wanted to ask that I kept forgetting when we emailed each other is, how hard is it to make it for all these different consoles? Because there's a lot of revisions of it now. Yeah, there's a lot of revisions. It's, it's not particularly hard once you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The issue is uh, uh, enter a new 
a new place, a new community of developers, and uh, a new whole set of unfinished homebrew SDKs. They are great. They are awesome. There are some that are better than others. There are communities that are more, wel more welcoming than others. There are communities that give more, and that, that always helps. There are also some communities like the, um, I don't know, uh, in, in the SNES, I did, didn't find too much information. And, and I understand why. They want to produce commercial products. Okay, so I come in with this uh, GPL2 thing and uh, everything open source and, and uh, sharing, and that doesn't uh, bode well with commercial products at all. Okay, yeah. uh, and, uh, and I only use uh, homebrew SDKs that fall into licenses that permit me to do that because the secondary target of the suite uh, is to help people that are in the same situation I was to go into a console and say, hey, it's not that difficult to, do, to just do something. The real uh, issues I find when I develop for these consoles is trying to adapt everything to get the best out of the console in, in the time I have. Okay? I usually take a month to do each port since, since the later ones. Uh, then 64 ports being an exception, I've been off that thing for uh, about two weeks right now. I'll go back to it uh, eventually. And, uh, but the, the, the real difficult thing is to figure out uh, the correct resolutions. If the homebrew SDKs give you all the tools that you need or if they don't. If you can push the console harder to get you know, extra lines of resolution or if that is um, a factor that's built into the console, for instance, the N64, I, I, when I started, uh, there are very few tools to do 2D stuff because uh, that, that is proprietary from, the, from Nintendo's SDK and they give you tools to do that and the console has no provisions to do 2D on hardware. Mm -hmm. Everything is it's one of the first consoles to use a frame buffer, so uh, you, you have to draw everything either yourself in software or write special code or, uh, or DMA stuff to, to make it work. Okay, so. Uh, the issue I, I found is that I couldn't get the full 320 by 2040 resolution. It was eating up some lines on the sides and from the top and the bottom. And I thought it was either an issue with the SDK, an issue with what was uh, uh, what I was doing. So I had to go in, experiment, figure out all the registers and, and um, disassemble games, disassemble other homebrew. And no, that's the way it works. Okay, the, the N64 can't output the full frame buffer. It, 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 ups, it, it eats up a few lines on the sides and on the top and bottom, and that's one of the things that has me, um, uh, how can I say, not, not on track because I can't give a perfect product. I have to, to uh, put a warning, just like in the, in the Wii version where you open the, the checkerboard pattern, I open up a warning that tells you that that pattern can't resolve properly on the Wii on, on, on 480p. Okay, and uh, I don't like to do that, but I better do that because it, it's mis misleading. If people try to calibrate their stuff with what I'm given and it's incorrect in some way, uh, I feel responsible with that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so. so for the N64, because I want to ask you about the Wii, is the checkerboard on the Wii as well. But so how does that affect the way games are displayed on monitors and, and through upscalers? Is there it, are there any negative effects of that? Is that part of the buffering, no. or is that you know? No, it's 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 a non-issue really, really, because you just eat up a few pixels, two or three, on each side. Some in, in one side it's one. I, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but in games and 3D games in particular, you you won't notice at all. Okay, it's it's almost impossible that you figure out 
hey, one line is missing because you don't know the original signal, right? Right. So, okay. so it's only an issue if you're using it for calibration patterns or things like yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, here, here you have it. It won't show these borders, and uh, don't, don't worry about that, okay? That's what I'm going to end up doing. Also, uh, on the N64 version, it's taking me a bit of time to figure out all those filters and uh, billion filters. I'm not doing 3D right now, although I'm doing the using the 3D hardware to bleed surfaces and and do uh, 2D drawings because I thought I figured out that was the fastest way to do it in one frame. It those filters don't work on my stuff. Okay, when I turn them on, they don't show up only on the font. So I'm working on that to have something to show off how those filters affect then the image. Yeah, I think that would be something that people would really love too because people, you know, My Life in Gaming did a great job with the, their showing the, uh, the video of it, but if somebody could just have a button to press so they load up the, the test suite and just go, you know, left and right and switch back and forth, that'd be a really great demonstration of it. That's, that's the thing I, I've been a bit uh, stuck in because I'm, I'm not doing polygons, okay? I'm doing 2D stuff. I, I, although I'm using polygons, just like in the Dreamcast, uh, there's uh, there's no 3D, visible 3D that, that gets affected. Mm -hmm. So I need to play more with that uh, before release. Gotcha. Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to when that's coming out. So um, Now, you were talking about the checkerboard pattern for the Wii. Could you explain yeah. a little bit about that as well? Well, the checkerboard pattern is uh, very, a very taxing pattern. Okay, it's uh, it's something that it's not supposed to to work at all in general on a, on a consumer level. I'm I'm saying on composite video. If I, I think you've already tested how that looks like on a composite video, even on a PBM, mm -hmm. you just get a, a flashing color pattern because there there's artifacts when you um, get that demodulation from the from composite to RGB, and that's unsolvable on on composite, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very taxing. I made that pattern uh, just out of my own curiosity to to see how well uh, it could perform. On my arcade monitors, it performed perfectly on RGB and also on PBMs and on DexRGB. But uh, it's 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 just one pixel on, on white, one pixel on black, and then the next line shift to the right. Okay, so you get just like a, a checkerboard. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, a few years back, I believe that uh, somebody posted on, on, on Shoot'em Up's uh, forums uh, regarding uh, th that comparison between the GameCube and the Wii, okay, and the video. And uh, I posted uh, what I figured out because I have I had that same issue when I developed the the, um, the Wii suite. Okay, I thought I wasn't using the, the ZK correctly. I, I was, and um, I. I, I yeah, I usually use um, an, a BGA CRT. CRT. Mm -hmm. It's a very good uh, diamond trunk tube to, to do that. Uh, that's what I usually use. Now I use a PBM next to me because it's easier. I have both right here. Mm -hmm. But but on the BGA, when I use the XRGB tree, the, the checkerboard wasn't resolving on the Wii. So I thought that maybe my, my use of the registers and the textures on the Wii was incorrect in some way because I had that same issue with the Dreamcast. Mm -hmm. And on the Dreamcast, it was something that I could just turn off at low level on the, on the video card and I could get the perfect signal displayed without filtering. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was some kind of hardware filter that, that was uh, attenuating my, my pattern and I didn't know how to use it, but it wasn't. Okay, after after I checked everything and I made the GameCube version, I, I tested it against it and 
and it was quite different, the signal. Um, I was correct with the, a few lines uh, uh, behind that on, on the forum that mentioned that it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, what I said, it, uh, as, um, ah, <laughs> the word doesn't come. It wasn't as, um, as powerful. The signal wasn't, the amplitude of the signal wasn't as powerful. And what he said was that it was just uh, bandwidth limited, but it is the same information was there. Okay, if you check out those uh, oscilloscope uh, figures, you get um, a sinusoid uh, wave on the on the image, and the tops are the whites, and the bottoms are the blacks. Okay, on that, uh, both uh, output video signals have that same pattern. Okay, the information is there. It's just more difficult to resolve on the Wii than on the GameCube. So. Most uh, displays won't figure it out. That's uh, the main issue. But the information is there. That's why he made the HDMI mod and, uh, and the new DAC mode mod, and that gets you that pattern resolved. But with stock hardware, it doesn't. So that's that is the behind the scenes of why the Wii doesn't output as good video as the GameCube uh, with the stock yeah. output. Um, and I don't think it's a very uh, concerning issue for, for most of the people. If, if you check out, as you did on, on your site, how different an in-game situation is, it's not that different. It's just when you nitpick that you figure out the differences and it's an objective difference. It's just maybe you don't care about it. Okay, And that's one thing that everyone should understand about this. The same thing happens with the Manolag test or with the grids that you don't get, I, I get a lot of uh, tweets that mention, hey, my PBM is not showing the whole grid. Is that bad? Can I fix it? And, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to answer uh, because it's, it's not bad. Right. That, that pattern was made to show the whole thing as a, as a possibility space. You know? and, but people don't understand that back in the day you had other scan and under scan and that there is those borders and some games don't use them. But in console games, uh, the whole grid that I set up in the, in the pattern is the one used by the games on the console. Okay, so it's uh, but but people, the, the developers knew that those areas on the on the sites probably won't show on TV. So there is no important information there, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, people don't understand also that uh, if you shrink the image vertically so you can fit the full grid, you have to 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 shrink it horizontally as well. Right, right, and you have to set up linearity again, and you get a very small image in the center. If you have a 20-inch PBM without an underscan bottom, you get a, a very small image in the, in, in the middle, right? Yes, yes, definitely. So that's um that was actually how I kind of figured out the whole. Um, well, I didn't figure out how I discovered the the bad caps and monitors thing because I had I had an RGB monitor that I had. It was an NEC XM29. Um, and I, I tweaked that as good as I could, but using the test suite, it just it wasn't lining up, especially in the horizontal uh, scrolling. Um, and then that's when I found out that you know bad capacitors could cause that as well. So that's when I had that fixed, and then that went away for me. So yeah, it's, it's not only something that you can set up with with uh, either knobs or, or on the service menu, depending on how new your your PBM is, right? Right. Yeah. And, and many uh, many things is that I service both uh, the user spaces because some just use the Frame Master or any other the OS CC and there you get a perfect complete signal. Right. And shows on an HTV and and it's a completely different scenario on a PBM. Although you can show everything as as well with more brightness with brighter colors, but but it's it's different. 
you get perfect geometry on new on new setup, right? Yeah. It's a, you know, getting perfect geometry on a CRT is an art form. I've come close, but I've never done it. I think Fondork has come, has gotten a lot better results than I have. I think he's really sat there and tried his best to, uh, to make his BVM perfect. But I, you know, it just comes to a certain point where you get it so close and then you tweak one little setting and it kind of throws something else off. So then I just put that setting back and I, I call mine good enough. You know, they're not perfect, but I, I would really love to, to find like a professional, calibration service that charged a fair amount. You know, I would spend a few hundred if I could drop my monitor off and have it look perfect when I was done, so. Yeah, I, I understand, and, and once you fall into this uh, rabbit hole, it, it just never ends if, if you want to, right? <laughs> right, uh, exactly. But, but the one thing that everything, everyone has to understand that it's good enough is good enough, okay? It, it's many that, that get their first CRT and it's a PBM, are disappointed that that's the, the perfection of it, right? And that's because they never got an original CRT back in the day. And they, I don't know if you've already tested a consumer level TV with the suite? Uh, n yes, but it was a long time ago. I don't even have yeah. that anymore. But yeah, it was yeah. a long time ago. Neither do I, but it's it's horrible, okay? You, you get composite and even S-Video and uh, every single pattern is, is very hard to resolve and you have Bad geometry, overscan. You have, uh, you can't set up the colors correctly, and people try to get the best out of it, and it's frustrating. But they have to understand uh, that's the way it is, and it's uh, they didn't get uh, necessarily screwed up, or or they are they are not doing the things wrong. It's simply that's the way they are. You know, it's funny. I often forget that there's a whole generation of people now that have never used the CRT before. So yeah. even a bad flat screen monitor, um, you could calibrate that, at least the geometry wise, pretty good. Yeah. And so, but yeah, you're right. I, I never thought of that until you just said all the people that haven't used one before probably are confused when they can't make it perfect. Yeah, and, and it happens a lot. You know, I, I have a few uh, podcasts and, and users on my YouTube channel that when they, they listen to, to what we do and uh, they, they are a new generation. They are in the 20s, mm -hmm. okay? And they get a, a PBM and they are really confused about that because there's people that just want to get out the best, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very uh, relative term because the best is uh, depends on what you need. You, I always answer those questions with, what's the best CRT I can get? What's the best the HDTV I can buy? And I always ask back, what's your, your the amount you want to spend? What's uh, your necessities and your requirements? Do you know what you need? And, and what you'd be happy with. And most of people don't know that. Okay, so it, it's better to first figure out what you want, not just try to go out for the best in, in you know, uh, social general terms because you won't find any, any, you won't find it fulfilling for yourself. Just like the guy that made that article, I don't know on which site, we, we didn't uh, uh, find it fulfilling. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, and he was just searching for the best as a, a general consensus instead of the best for himself, right? right? And all he probably needed was just a Wii and a basic CRT so he could play those old games on the virtual console. That have been fine. Of course. But, yeah, uh, that's actually um, something I recommend to a lot of people when they say, because I get a lot of emails like, hey, I read your website, it looks really interesting, but where do I start? I don't really know how much I could spend. I don't know anything else. I just say go... You know, look online and see if you could find a CRT for free. A lot of times you could find them for free now with an S-Video input. And then just go get a Nintendo Wii and some Virtual Console games or hack it and start from there. 
and see. And, you know, and if you love it and you said, oh, I just want more, then start buying original consoles, get a monitor, get something else. But for many people, that's just been everything they needed. We were just able to play it right in the Wii, and they were happy. Yeah, I agree. That's the, the best way to start, in a way, right? Because uh, just don't try to, to be forced upon opinions of others. Mm. Yeah, I'll make yours. That's that's the best way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, man, I just forgot what I was gonna say. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. Uh, so you started this. The Dreamcast was the first one that you wrote the suite for, correct? It's it's the second one. I I started with Sega Genesis, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because it's the the not the the only console I grew up with, but it was my main console back in the day. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, to use it, and I wanted uh, to use that new SDK that was out, that, that, that's, uh, that's been for a while from Stefan. And uh, it's a C uh, SDK, so it's very, use, uh, it's very easy to get into. And I decided to just open source it and try to figure out how to do things, and made that basic uh, Sega Genesis suite. Then I went to the Dreamcast, and after that I went to Sega CD. Was it is it hard to program for the Sega CD or is it just really similar to the Genesis just with a different um, you know uh, the different data bus for it? Were you able to just port it right over or is there actually a totally different set of instructions for that? Well, uh, to be honest, it would be a totally different set of things if I had made it really for the Sega CD. What I did was just port over the Genesis code and figure out which things weren't working. I used um, uh, bootloader from another people, uh, from from uh, another person that gave me permission to use it on an open source project, and just load my my ROM, just uh, although it's not a ROM in reality, just load a file to the Sega CD RAM and run it from there from the Genesis. Mm-hmm. Okay, what I had to remove was the VMA access because that didn't work between the consoles. But I, I'm not using actually. I'm actually not using the Sega CD hardware. I'm using it just like a PC Engine CV. It's just uh, a storage medium. That's okay. a smart idea. <laughs> That's a very so, smart idea. And uh, that was really kind of fast. But it also limits the way that the Genesis version is developed because I always want the Genesis version to fit in the Sega CD version, and I want them to be identical. Mm-hmm. And I have a very limited RAM space. Okay, so and I only use one loading cycle. I only load once because I don't want to. Um, you know, uh, destroy the CD with many uses, subsequent uses. The service is, you have a Sega CD, you don't have a flashcard, you have a CD-ROM burner, just go ahead and use it. Right? Mm. That was the, the main idea behind the Sega CD version. So I'm limited to 256K in the Sega Genesis and Sega CD versions because that issue, I'm not, uh, they're not as graphically or, or acoustically as, as good as they could be because of that. But they have everything on top to their capabilities of the Genesis, anyway. That's a good idea, and that's actually that's how I first started using it was because I didn't have a ROM cart yet, so I figured, oh, Sega CD burns or read CDRs, so that was perfect. That's why, uh, yeah, it's, that's a great idea, and that's a good thought too, not the reloading thing, because Sega CDs are not they're starting to fail a lot now. So yeah, so that was the idea, and that's what that that was the idea behind the Dreamcast version, and also the idea behind the PC Engine CD Super CD. And well, their kicker, I really didn't use it, but it's there, mm-hmm. right? It was try to give the same experience when they don't have a flashcard, okay? So they, they could be just used by anybody, as many options as possible. That was one of the, the goals when I did that. And the second goal was to learn how to code on each one of those consoles and which challenges they presented. 
Which do you think has been the hardest console to write for? Uh, Nintendo 64. <laughs> I've heard I mean, that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just because uh, it's very bare bones, but you have more power than I imagined at first. I, I thought it was really bad at start because I couldn't get it to update every frame uh, when I just was copying the stuff to screen, just like any other console. It's, it's a generation that's in the middle of two things. You know, when you program for 16-bit or 8-bit consoles, you have specialized hardware to deal with 2D. It's, uh, it doesn't cost you in terms of CPU cycles to draw stuff to the screen. It costs you to place the stuff on RAM, mm -hmm. but not to draw. Once you have it there, you can have the console redraw everything every single frame, and it's uh, costless. Okay? It's, it's free. And uh, Dreamcast on the other side, it's so powerful compared to a Sega Genesis that everything you see, every single uh, font, uh, every single letter on the screen is a polygon. Two polygons, as a matter of fact. You get two triangles with a texture map, and you have the shadow, so you have four polygons for every, every letter on screen. Because I draw the, the black, uh, the black uh, shadow of the, of the font, and then I draw the letter in, in, on top of it. So it looks like it has a drop shadow, but I'm drawing four polygons for each letter. And it's in reality just like a Paper Mario kind of thing. Just I draw everything on, on, on polygons, yeah. and, and I draw everything on 2D on top of that with polygons. But it's so powerful that it's uh, effortless. I, I can redraw the whole screen every single time uh, when I use polygons, the PBR, that it's, uh, it's really fast. It has no issues. When I was doing it on frame buffer with uh, SDL, it was really slow. I had to drop that in a week. But the N64 is in the middle. You have you don't have 2D hardware, and you don't have as much power as on a Dreamcast. So it's a, it's a I, I have to experiment with every single way of drawing. Either draw by software, copy by DMA, use the RDP to copy things, use uh, uh, the RSP to copy from woofers, and I had to time everything inside the console. And uh, you don't have a debug output, so you can't. When you, you program in consoles, you don't have uh, a way to figure out stuff unless you print the screen mm -hmm. in general terms. You, you, you may have some, some other facilities, but on the N64, I had to time everything and print to the screen how long it was taking uh, to draw uh, my stuff with every single kind of, uh, um, of way I figure out the things and, and try to combine things to get the scroll working because the N64 doesn't have a 2D scrolling hardware thing. On um, on a Genesis, you can just tell the or a Super NES, you can just tell the console scroll this thing one pixel to the right, and it doesn't cost you; it's free. Hmm. Okay. On the Dreamcast, you can just change the coordinates of the polygon one pixel to the left, and it works. But on the N64, you have to do some other things because you have uh, the the, RAM, the 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 scrolling you can do the copies you can do can only be aligned to the memory, and the memory is 64 bits. Mm -hmm. And if you are using 16 bits, you can only scroll four pixels at a time. Okay, so my scrolling was jerky. I had to figure out some ways to, to, to get that working. And it was just a scrolling test, and I spent like four days doing that. <laughs> Jeez, wow. You know, that um, it, I, all the things that I've read about the N64, I remember when it came out. I was in high school when it came out, and I just, um, I liked it, but it just, it seemed like, they weren't ready yet, you know? The Mario 64 graphics were amazing, the gameplay was good, but it just, you know, there was a lot of elements that I felt were missing, and then in the later consoles, GameCube, Wii, everything seemed, you know, pretty much perfect. 
And I bet you it was that not knowing how to program to that completely different style, you know, 3D versus 2D. And I guess mm -hmm. that, that's also why there probably wasn't a lot of 2D side-scrollers because they weren't able to do that on the N64 as well, right? Nintendo, apparently, I haven't checked the official documentation because I tried to work in a clean room environment with only homebrew stuff. Mm -hmm. But a friend of mine tells me that they have some facilities for 2D, okay? But it's not as advanced as uh, on any other console. And also... It was a 3D era. It was what killed the PCFX. It was what made the Saturn lag back, right? Yeah. So everybody went to, wanted to do that, and storage and uh, movies was a big part of it. So the Nintendo 64 had an, an issue there, right? But yeah. the, after, after you know, having my, my struggle with the console, I, I've learned that the 2D looks really amazing if you do it, if, if you have the facilities to do it. It's pixel perfect, okay? And, and we never saw that because everything was kind of 2D.5 or 3D, right? And yeah. we didn't get proper uh, sprites in 2D all the time. That was something that we didn't get, and then the console can do it perfectly well. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if uh, a new N64 homebrew scene will eventually open up and port some cool 2D games to it. I'm sure it, it will. There's the Doom port. There's, uh, there's a lot of things out there, okay? Yeah, I haven't tried the Doom port myself yet, but I, um, I I read good things about it. I keep forgetting to. I should try that as soon as I can. But uh, the developer yeah. is always uh, posting on the Cricks forum. So, um, yeah, I, I forgot. Now you, now you just reminded me. I have to go back and check that. But. Yeah, I have to. Honestly, I, that's that was one of the main things that helped me out, uh, figure out. Although the rendering way he uses on the on the on Doom is the it's it's the way Doom renders things. Uh, it's not useful for me. It's helped me to figure out some stuff out. Mm -hmm. hmm. Cool. And that's so, a good thing about open source. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good thing about our community, too, is a lot of people are willing to help. Some aren't, but mo I, I would say most people are. Most people are willing to help out and do. So. I agree with that. Yeah. So if you are um, if you have all of these different consoles that the 240p test suite is available for, um, and you want to calibrate your RGB monitor, do you do it with the... Is there one best console to do it from, or does it not matter, or because my favorite console SNES, should I calibrate it from the SNES to make sure? Uh, is there something you would recommend for that? Well, uh, obviously it's something I've dealt with in the past. It's a very interesting question. Um, I, I usually uh, use the, either the Wii, GameCube, Dreamcast, or PC Engine versions. Okay, because those have the most power and most resolutions. Okay, gotcha. I tried uh, to give a, a proper SNES and Genesis uh, way of rendering things on those three versions. That the Wii and GameCube version are basically the same thing, right? Right. Um, but what I did was place patterns in, in 224p as well. And uh, I, I made it so that you press one button on, on that pattern, it changes or switches between Genesis and, and Super NES. So you get, it's, it, the Genesis just, I, I can remember correctly, but I think it's one line below, starts one line below, and the Super NES starts one line above. So you can just switch that and check out how those align for Genesis Super NES. But in general terms, I would advise that for color, you calibrate with one of those three, Dreamcast, uh, or uh, GameCube or Wii, okay? Because you get the full gamut. If you calibrate with a Genesis, you're losing the color range from the SNES, okay? Right. Because it's lower, 
if you calibrate it with SNS, it, it's good. It's good enough. It's, it's, it's got the same color range that the drink is. That's great. Okay, because it has a video mode that can show the 256 colors, and I use that for color calibration. So the SNS is good for that. But the, the SNS is bad uh, for resolution, because the SNS is 8% smaller resolution than the Genesis. Right. Okay, the Genesis can do 320 by, by 240 in PAL, but 224 in, in, in NTSC. And the SNES can do 200, 256 by 240, but they never use that, or 256 by 224. That's what okay. they always but, use, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's exactly what they use. And the Genesis can do also 256 by 224. So you can just use the Genesis to calibrate for both the Genesis and the SNES. That's interesting. All right, because uh, I think I've been... I think I've been using the SNES to do it, but now I'm uh, next time I go to calibrate a monitor, I'll use the Dreamcast. That's cool. That's good advice. Yeah, and uh, you know, in general terms of resolution, I advise to use that proper console, the one that you're using, because the signals are not identical. Right. Although they try to follow the NTSC standard, some are, are moved to the right, some are moved to the left a few pixels, some are moved, moved up or down because they start not in line 20, well, they start some in line 20 that they shouldn't, some in 21, some in 22. Hmm. And uh, that, that offsets the signals. So I'd rather recommend that for perfectionists, just go and check out calibrate color on a, on a 32 or 64 bit console, and then check out the grids on any single console that you can check the grids. Okay? That's good advice. So um, ever since I started using it, it was first for calibration, and then I was using it to show uh, 480i versus 240p, and then Fudda, I never know if I'm pronouncing his screen name right, but when uh, Fudda and I were talking for a while over email about um, how to prove out why using an Xtron RXi to uh, raise or lower by one pixel, and he said, why don't you make a test pattern, and I thought, wait a minute, I already know where there is one, so we used it for that. And now recently, it's been the stopwatch test that's been mm -hmm. amazing for me because I never, you know, I've done lag testing before, but I never really had the means until I got some of my extra equipment this past year. And now that's just great. And it's it's fun it's fun to prove all the, you know, you know, frame meisters about 1.5 frames, open source scan converter, very little lag to zero, pretty much zero. But it was also kind of fun because I bought a Vizio TV which was very cheap, which they said was less than one frame of lag. And I said, you know, it's a, a cheap TV. There's no way they're going to have this game mode in this cheap TV. And I brought it home, and I'd use the test, and sure enough, it was 2.5 frames, and only through one input. All the rest of the inputs, it was, uh, I think it was 5.5 frames of lag, even yeah. in game mode. So it was so cool. I brought, the, I returned that TV immediately. I brought it right back to the store. <laughs> it was yeah, that's, cool. That's, a, that's an interesting use, then. Fudo suggested, as a matter of fact, because I have the manual DAC test, and it's, it's something that, you know, it's fun to have, but it's uh, it's non-definitive, and I've seen a lot of people using that to prove things, right? Right. And the manual, manual lag test is not for that. It's just to give out the hang of how it feels to a, to a gamer that has experience, right? It's still very helpful. I mean, it's not a scientific measurement, but it's still very helpful in deciding because, yeah, you'll get used to pushing the button at the right time. Your brain will automatically time itself. Even if it's yeah. random. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it is a great starting point. And that's that's what um, – actually, the manual lag test is what made me learn how bad the Retron 5 was at lag. Yeah. 
because yeah. I started with that, and then I then I started doing real testing with it, thinking, all right, you know, is it really six frames of lag in this game? And it, it actually was in certain emulators. So yeah, it, uh, you know, it was pretty. You know, it's it's something that uh, also people don't realize. When you emulate something, you have to have input lag. There, that's something that has stuck me to doing the. I don't know if you check out the new audio sync test. Uh, I have not yet. Is that in okay. um, Dreamcast only, or is that in all? It's uh, mainly in Genesis, SNES, and I believe PC Engine right now. Okay. Uh, and, and I haven't moved it to, to frame buffer consoles, because when you use a frame buffer, what you're using is uh, you have a screen that you render one frame ahead of the screen that you're watching. Right. Okay. That's how N64 works. That's how Dreamcast, that ha that's how every single console from that line of... of uh, 3D development works, and also all 3D computers right now, that's how they work. You're always one lag behind the code from what you're seeing, because you render something, you upload it to, to the video card, okay? The video card renders that to the screen, but you're always drawing one frame behind, mm -hmm. okay? So I, I haven't done that, the audio scene test because I don't have precise control to, to do a the output of audio and the video at exactly the same time, which is what the, the test does. Okay, I have to lag it and uh, and hide the lag to the user just as normal current games do. They had hide the lag. Okay, so in emulation, that's that was the thing that started this thing. You always have that frame of lag mm -hmm. from that PC uh, against the console. I mean, the classic console. Right. And then you have one frame of lag because you need to to run the machine one frame to be able to render it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you are at least two frames behind in, in terms of theoretical terms that are non-negotiable, right? Mm -hmm. You're always two frames behind the lag on emulation. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's really good. Okay? But you have those two frames, and on top of that, you have how uh, optimized emulator is, your PC uh, speed, and then your monitor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, it's hard when they use the, the suite for that, um, and they try to check out the manual lag test for that, right? Because you, you, you're never getting the proper uh, input signal. Right. And, uh, and, and there's also one other test that, that was very fun. Now that you mentioned testing TVs, I used to go with the Nomad, and uh, I, I checked my Nomad against my arcade machine, and it was just one frame behind, so I knew that the results uh, taking the picture against uh, a TV on the floor, mm -hmm. on, on store, uh, the Nomad, if I took a picture, I could just measure the lag on, on, on place, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I usually did, but uh, later on I made uh, a, a test for a Dreamcast that nobody, I guess, I'm sure nobody uses it, because nobody has uh, a microphone. But if you plug in the microphone in the Dreamcast version of the suite, you get a new test instead of a manual lag test and that's a microphone sync test. And what you can do is, by uh, a fast forward transform, I digitize the audio, play a one kilohertz audio tone, and uh, give you the lag of the TV based just on that. So, so you could actually, so the, with the Dreamcast and the microphone, you could actually test the, uh, the screen lag just by running it and having it uh, detect it through that? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it's... It's based on one fact, uh, that the audio is delayed the same time as the video by the TV. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, and most TVs do that. 
So is that what uh, when you said you had the audio uh, the test into the Super Nintendo version now? Is that something similar? Or it's a it's a different kind of thing. It just shows a, a white bar and a, a few bars moving, and then the screen flashes white at the same time that you get an audio tone. Okay. So what you could do with that is just record the screen, just like with the with the stopwatch test, and uh, you'd get if, if you are frame accurate in your recording, you can check out if the audio and video are on sync on the same frame for your full source, or if you digitize with a capture card or any kind of thing. There's also automated equipment that does this. It follows the standards of automated equipment for audio sync, if you have that kind of thing, right? That's really cool. I gotta, I gotta look into that. The, um, the guys from My Life in Gaming had an idea as well, and I hope I'm not giving away their idea, but uh, they wanted to make a controller that when you press the button, it lights up so that you could use a slow motion camera, stick it in front of the TV and press the button, and then you'd actually be able to read the microseconds of you know, how long it takes Mario to jump or something. And that way you could test both the TV and any controller mods, things like that. So Yeah, of course. Uh, that's, that's of course possible. I, I would recommend the manual lag test for that kind of thing, because you have the measurement from inside the console. Okay? Right. Uh, you, you know that I, uh, when I put that thing out, and uh, well, the audio sync, for instance, I guarantee that they're in sync by oscilloscope. I check it on hardware, and I check uh, the video signal, the audio signal, and they last two frames, exactly two frames, not more and no less, and they don't start one millisecond behind or before they should. That happens in those consoles I have control with. Okay? But I haven't released it in any other ones because I don't have a precise control for an audio effect to be synced with the video effect. So... Um it's funny that you said about the Nomad, because my cousin Scott and I are planning on going to uh, a Best Buy soon and going through and to test all those TVs. Uh, and the idea that I thought was because the um, the NES version of the 240p test suite, if you use that on a high-def NES, you get both simultaneous outputs. So I could take my little 8-inch BVM, I don't know if you can see it up there, I have yeah. a little 8-inch BVM monitor. I could be able to carry that in, plug that in with composite, and just snap a picture. Um, I also thought of using the Nomad, but I did when I was testing the Nomad screen. I thought it was about a half a frame of lag. Is that true? Is in that... my case, I modded it, so I have uh, one of those new LCDs. Yeah, and it's one frame of lag. So I would advise you to test yours because mine is not a baseline. I only have uh, one of those uh, modded screens. Gotcha. But yeah, we we plan on going in, and, and uh, my my whole thing is I want to go through, and if it's got two frames of lag or higher, or high, more than two frames of lag, then I'm just I'll write down the model number of the TV and move along. If it's got okay. two or under, then I'm gonna not only you know double check again, but I also want to test the open source scan converter 720p mode, and I'm gonna bring the HD retrovision cables, probably just with a Nomad actually, uh, to do that, and then test the lag on the Nomad as well so that I can know the difference. Is there a difference between lag in 720p mode and in 240p mode and in 1080p mode because of you know the, um, yeah. the high def nest? So you'd actually get the three modes that you'd be able to use because nothing that does 4K natively. So hopefully it'll be about a month or so, but I, I would love to come back with a bunch of data for that and uh, and see. We'll be using your test suite and the Nomad trick and everything. So right, yeah. and just check out that PVM because that's going to be the best baseline that you get. Okay, definitely. 
Yeah, I'm going to try to get it all on video. I can only imagine what the conversation with the manager is going to be like when you see three guys walk in with a handful of equipment like, hey, just leave us alone for an hour. We'll be fine, I promise. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of work. I've, uh, I've been there uh, before, so I can tell you what happens in, in general terms, uh, at least here in Mexico. When I go and do that, uh, people are, are the, the salespersons are very interested in that because they've been fed what the uh, what PR or marketing gives them regarding those specs, right? And uh, you know the Samsung guys there, the Sony guys there. Well, no longer there, but the LG guy, and they just, hey, your thing is not doing what you said it did, right? And your thing is. is is bad, <laughs> okay? And they start just uh, to, to banter, uh, a friendly banter in there because they, they are just all day there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's interesting. Sears, uh, that's that's one store that allows you to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really hope we find a store where we get uh, friendly people. Luckily, around this area, there's a, a retro game store called Retro Games Plus, and the owner seems to have made a lot of contacts with a lot of people around here. I guess I'm one of them, too, but... Um, if I have any problems, I think I'm going to go to him and his guys and see if they know anybody because between all the people I know around here, there's got to be at least one Best Buy, Walmart, Sears, something we can go into and do this. But I just, yeah. you know, it's getting to the point now where it's really, really hard to get a good CRT. And eventually it's going to be almost impossible. So people are going to be forced to do flat screen gaming at some point. And it would be nice if I could start something and then maybe have the community kind of chip in with their own results where we could just have a page that we list all the monitors or, or TVs that we know of that have low to zero lag. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And, and a suggestion regarding that, you can also use and salvage arcade monitors. Yeah. Okay. Because you can just build a wooden case and, and place it just like a PBM. It's not the same quality. It's a bit lower than a PBM, but you get a very good quality, way above than a than a regular TV. And they are cheap. They destroy the cabinets and, and take the monitors out and sell them. So that's another option as well. Okay. Yeah, every time I come across a deal on a PBM or something like that, I'll, I'll buy it. And I got a, a storage area now. You know, far away from the city, so it's very cheap. Okay. So, but, oh, that's great. So I just keep throwing them in there, and you know, one day I would love to open up like a museum or a storefront or something where people could go in and actually use these. But that's far off. I have to figure all that out. But I just I don't want to see this stuff go to waste. And yes, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen them thrown out. I uh, I do one of the jobs I do during the day is um, uh, computers for medical for hospitals. Okay. So I go in and there was there they weren't PVMs they were kind of the the lower end more like video security monitors that had RGB inputs. And I said, oh hey, do you guys mind if I take a couple of these? And they said, oh I wish we knew last week we threw out 20 of them. They actually just threw them out. They had a company come in and, and dispose of them. So. Uh, yeah, you know, it hurts. I, I, since I broadcast, okay, they used PBMs all the time, mm -hmm. okay. But uh, since I was a, a, a provider for them, I couldn't just ask because I, uh, it, it would be a conflict of interest, right? Right. Yeah. But I saw so many just dumped outside in the rain and. Oh, yeah, it's really painful. It just I, I went to some TV stations and and they had it just dropped there. And the vector scopes and well, uh, terrible. Yeah, you know when I I bought my widescreen BVM, so it was the 32 inch. Um, I found it on eBay, and I went to talk. It was right in the middle of New York City, uh, and I go in, and the guy was you know, 
I don't want to say standoffish, but he was kind of wondering why I was there buying this monitor. And then when I explained video games, the website, he suddenly realized I'm not a competitor. I was, you know, and he was very friendly. He brought me in the back room. I ended up buying another monitor that I gave my cousin Scott. And then he said, hey, do you want, uh, I have a 20-inch A-series BVM that was never used. Would you like that too? <laughs> said, yes. And he, was, he said, there's no input card on it. But he said it was literally never used. They took it out of the box, they tested it, and then a separate monitor had a bad input card, so they pulled the one out of that one. But he said it has less than one hour of use. He said, you know, do you want it? I said, sure, sure. And I, I brought all the money I had on me, so I paid for the widescreen, I paid for the other one, and I said, look, I got... I got like 400 bucks left in his eyes. He goes, do you have any idea how much that monitor cost? Said, yes, I do. <laughs> because we only bought it five years ago. I said, look, man, I, I, I got it right here. You want to just take the cash? And he just, he was kind of frustrated. But there I am walking out with a $20,000 monitor, brand new that I got for yeah. 400. But I still need the input card. I got the, the remote for it, but I still haven't able, been able to actually play games on it yet. So. Well, that's, that's several steps ahead of some of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's also happened to me. I, I I go to people that sell these things, and I go with the drinker suites and, and test the monitors to, to figure out which ones to buy mm. and stuff for friends or for myself. I have I have I don't have as many. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, six PBMs, one one eight inch, just as as you do, mm. and uh, a JVC that I that this one was the one that I used to use at work when uh, I, I made software for SD TV stations, right? Mm -hmm. So this one has a story, but I don't use it to play. I just use it to develop uh, because cool. it's a 40-inch one. But I have two, two 20 inches and the one twenty-five thirty. Which yes. is your favorite so far that you've been using? Uh, 20M. But I usually play on the twenty-five thirty because it's bigger, and uh, I, if I want one to die first, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got this um, this 37, I don't know if it's in the picture, yeah, this 37-inch inch Mitsubishi Megaview. That's that somebody, awesome. Yeah, somebody found my website and saw that it was in my want list and said, hey, you know, do you want, uh, I could sell this to you if you want. So I drove, you know, like three hours to go get it. Um, and it's it needs a capacitor replacement very badly. Uh, and it's not as good a quality, but for light gun games and for Sega CD um, 3D games with the 3D glasses, it's the best just because it's huge. Yeah, that, that uh, works. Yeah, it, but as far as the the biggest uh, the biggest one I found that I still thought was really great quality was that XM29, the 29 inch. That was just it wasn't as good as the BVMs, but it still was good enough where I didn't you know I was very happy playing on that over it because of the size. But that 32-inch BVM I got's great too. You know, the the screen size itself I think in a four by three is 25 or 24, as if it was a 25. That's excellent. But yeah, it's it's still good, and I I love that one. That one, you know, and it's versatile because it's widescreen. You know, I was even able to put um, I downloaded Mario DS for the Wii U, so it's the virtual console game, and I there was too much lag. Uh, there was actually definitely emulation lag in there. So I hooked it up in 720p to the BVM. And it was perfect. It was great. It was good enough where I didn't notice it. So That's great. Yeah, it's fun. So um, what else do you have going on? You said you have uh, your YouTube channel? Yeah, I have a YouTube channel where I just repair arcade uh, PCBs or where I uh, do console mods, RGB mods, or, or the copyness just recently because I, I like dumping my stuff and having my own stuff, my own ROMs for EverDrives. 
I originally buy the EverDrives to develop uh, the suite, of course. So the ones that have been going out is because I, I am able to buy that uh, EverDrive and, and code for it because I, I don't like coding emulators. I always code on the real thing. And um, I like to dump my own stuff. So I use the copyness for NAS just recently and the retro for, for all other consoles, right? Very cool. So that kind of thing is what I do on the YouTube channel. And, and uh, I also have made a podcast here in Mexico. Uh, it's in Spanish. All these materials in Spanish because there's so little material in Spanish that I try to, yeah. to, to bring it to this place, right? Because doing it in English, there's a lot of stuff. You do great stuff. My Life in Gaming does great stuff. So there's no need to, to just play something else in English. And uh, that's yep. what I do. My friend uh, Francisco, he's the game hunter online. He's the guy that reviews mobile video games. And he's originally from Chile. And he does two. For every video he does, he'll do one in Spanish and one in English because it was the same thing. He found so many people, especially so many people where he's from, saying, I like your video, but I don't... You know, English isn't my first language. I wish I could understand more of it. So he started doing both, and it, it was huge for him. He got a lot of followers. He got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, praise for that. So yeah, I mean, keep doing it. Definitely, you know, we need and to. That's a lot of work doing it twice. In case of mods or, or repairing an arcade board, I'd have to dub myself. <laughs> but <laughs> but now it won't work. No, Subtitles no, no. work. Yeah, but I mean, it's uh, it's good because we got to reach as many people as we can for this because that's. You know, the more people we get involved in all of these projects, the better it is for everybody. So. Yeah, you know, the same thing happened. I, I created an arcade page here in Mexico mm -hmm. so that other people can just gather and share information and try to trade, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, some people here said, no, don't do that because more people are coming in and it's going to be harder. And I said, no, it's going to be easier because more people are willing to share. If we try to create a shared uh, community, a share my community, it, it worked better for us yeah. than if we tried to just uh, keep the stuff to ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's human nature where you think of things in the, the time of your life. But, you know, it's, it, you have to remember that it, these things will be around for a lot longer than we will. So by building a community, it guarantees that, you know, our grandchildren will be able to play Afterburner in an arcade because why not? So it's, it's good. Yeah. The more people we get involved, the better, and the longer this will last. So. Yeah, the less stuff goes to the trash, right? Because yes. That's, it's exactly the same issue with arcade PCBs. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like buying uh, a bunch of, of unknown PCBs. I, I try to, after a few years, I just buy the stuff that I want. But it's hard not to, to let stuff go and die, right? So yeah. it's a very difficult balance. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I mean, this was awesome. Thanks so much for having uh, for coming on, and I'll uh, just make sure to give me links to your. Uh, I'll put links to the YouTube and to your podcast in it. Uh, I'll send those over to Francisco. I'm sure his uh, his the Spanish channel would love to hear those too. Yeah, the, the, the podcast is something that we've been running for like seven years, and it's a six-hour podcast every single time. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange thing, but it works. It doesn't have as many followers. It has like, I don't know, 8,000, that kind of thing. But it's, it's impressive that people uh, use it uh, for their commute, right? For, yeah. uh, we do it every month, and they just use it for their commute for a, the whole month. <laughs> it's, just, it's a strange thing. No, that's really cool. Definitely give me all the links, and thanks again for coming on. No, thank you very much for, for having me here. And, well, enjoy your stuff, guys. Thanks. Take care.